0: Welcome to the Sex and Psychology Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Justin Lehmiller. I am a social psychologist and research fellow at the Kinsey Institute and author of the book, Tell Me What You Want, The Science of Sexual Desire and How It Can Help You Improve Your Sex Life. When you don't get enough physical contact with other people, you might start to experience what's often referred to as touch starvation. Humans are wired to feel good when we get the kind of touch that we want, but when we can't get that, research shows that it's bad for both our physical and psychological health. Prior to the COVID-19 pandemic, a majority of Americans said that they weren't getting enough intimacy and affection in their lives, and that number only increased once the pandemic made touch a scarcer phenomenon. So how can we fill this touch void in our lives? Could modern technology offer some solutions? Let's explore. In today's show, we're going to discuss digital touch. From remote-controlled sex toys to haptic suits, like the ones we see in sci-fi movies, to robots and shirts that hug you back, we're going to explore the various ways in which mechanical touch might offer new and effective ways to meet our need for intimate contact. At the same time, we're also going to discuss the concerns around this technology, including whether it will only further reduce human-to-human contact and some of the important ethical considerations inherent in any new technology. I am joined once again by Dr. Michael Banesey, an award-winning professor in social neuroscience. He has received multiple prizes for his contributions to psychological science, including a medal from the British Psychological Society. Michael studies everything from empathy to emotion perception to touch and well-being. He is author of the new book, Touch Matters, Handshakes, Hugs, and the New Science on How Touch Can Enhance Your Well-Being. This is going to be an amazing conversation. Stick around, and we're going to jump in right after the break. The Kinsey Institute's Art and Artifact Collection contains thousands of items from around the world spanning more than 2,000 years of human history. You can check out some of the items in the newly opened Kinsey Institute Gallery on the Indiana University Bloomington campus, which is open to the public from 9.30 to 4, Monday through Friday. You can also find two Kinsey Institute art exhibitions at the Wilsig Erotic Art Museum, located in the heart of South Beach in Miami, Florida. Check the show notes for more information or visit kinseyinstitute.org. Okay, Michael, let's talk about digital touch. Big tech companies have been working on virtual reality technology for years. Now, most VR technology today simply involves wearing a headset that puts you visually in a different world. But in order for this experience to be truly immersive, we need more sensation. I mean, after all, we have multiple senses. So as a starting point, tell us a little bit about why incorporating touch in particular is going to be so important to the future of VR.
1: Yeah, I mean... Part of the reason why touch is going to be so critical to VR is when you stop and think about it, when you're living your life in the real world, when you're present in a moment, touch is actually so important in you being grounded and aware of where you are. Like right now, I'm talking to you. We're talking. I'm sitting I'm getting feedback through my feet, from them pressing on the ground, from just sitting on the chair, right? We don't have to stop and even think about that. We don't take that kind of mindful moment to be aware of where we are, but we're getting this feedback all the time. So then when we go into a virtual world, sure, we can see it, sure, we can hear it, but our body is also expecting, it's expecting some kind of tactile feedback. And research backs this up. There was actually a study it was a year or so ago now that came out from a research group at Goldsmiths, a University of London. And they put people inside a virtual environment, a VR environment, and they, they showed them visuals only they had auditory-only experiences, they had touch-only experiences, and they had like obviously the combination of all of them. And what they were able to show was that, yeah, sure, when you had the combination of all of them, you felt like you were really present, it felt really real. But when you look to those vision-only, auditory-only, touch-only, the one that was most important in making people feel like they were actually in that virtual world was the touch only condition You know, there was no vision there was no sound but just feeling the tactile feedback of being there mattered the most and it's findings like this that i think have now got big tech companies really wondering about how if we're gonna really go heavy into vr okay it's gotta look good it's gotta sound good but it, it's gotta feel right you know and, and if it doesn't feel right it's just going to be slightly lacking, right? It's just not going to be up to scratch for the types of experience that we as humans have all the time.
0: Yeah, and you know, this has me thinking about how if you were just wearing a headset and you have that sort of expectation for a certain kind of touch, but you're not getting it and instead you're getting a totally different kind of stimulation from just sitting in your chair or whatever else is happening in that room where you're using the tech, it's just not going to have the same type of immersive effect for individuals.
1: It's just going to break it, right?
0: Yeah. (laughs) I think you make a really important and compelling case for why touch is really central to the future of VR. But that raises the question to me of where are we with that technology right now? I mean, in the last few years, I've been hearing more and more about haptics, And companies have started making more devices that provide tactile feedback. You know, people are opening up, you know, the 4D movie theater experiences and so forth. So can you give us a couple of examples of, you know, just the kind of technology that's currently out there and how close is it to mimicking real life sensations?
1: Yeah. I mean, there's a variety of different types. You can obviously start with the type maybe we all know in our in our controllers that we have using vibrations, right, to give us a kind of sense of, of being there. But there's actually companies that are building these really impressive uh, suits that you can put on. And they remind me a bit of, uh, you know, the the movie Ready Player One, um, <laughs> you know, when they kind of slip into their suit and they're getting all that kind of tactile and uh, electrical mm-hmm. feedback, picking up on those bodily signals. Well, you know, those, those things might sound like fiction, but actually for the right money, you you can, uh, you can invest in, in in not dissimilar suits now. And a number of um, high-profile examples are now being you trying to explore the use of virtual reality and these suits to actually really explore that blend of touch and being present. You know, there's, there's now training, for instance, of astronauts connected to using these high-profile VR suits and training of firefighters and, and things like this. And so these suits are definitely something that we're seeing more of as examples in the virtual world. And then alongside that as well, there's also other elements. I mean, Microsoft, for instance, have recently done work trying to make that kind of virtual world more inclusive, make it more designed for all. And by that, they're actually using haptic feedback, so connected to things like a, a white cane so that an individual who's visually impaired you know, may be able to go into the virtual world and navigate their way through. And a lot of this is using feedback through the cane, which can then go to the hand and the body to give some of those. So these are just a, a couple of examples. I mean, I'm, I'm sure we might talk about a few others, like things like electronic skin and all these fascinating additions that are now coming into it, but there are a couple that stand out.
0: Yeah, so it sounds like the technology it's kind of already there in some ways, but it's extraordinarily expensive. And, you know, it's going to be a long time before the average person is going to be able to kind of explore this kind of digital touch in the way that astronauts who are training and, you know, some of these really highly subspecialized people are able to access that tech. It's just not available to the masses yet.
1: Yeah, I mean, to a degree. I mean, what we should keep in mind, though, is there are things available, I suppose, to us which are using wearables. You know, maybe it's not a full-body suit but it is using wearables to convey digital touch to us. And that might be a bracelet that somebody sends a signal to you to share a tactile experience to show they're thinking of you, which, of course, isn't necessarily in a virtual world. But So there are examples of tech that that are there and are slightly more available to the masses. And another example is um, there's quite a few companies now that do what we call mid-air touch. So they use ultrasound waves to do it so that you can place your hand above the waves and you'll feel the tactile kind of response because of the sound waves. And there have been examples now where people have been building touchless touchscreens using that type of technology or, or looking at using, for instance, film posters that you might see, I don't know, I'm a big Marvel fan, so you, have to, excuse me, like, you might see like four's hammer and the uh, thunderbolt coming down and you kind of get a spark out of it when you go near to touch it, but, but not because by physically touching it, but by mid-air touch. So, These examples are, I think, becoming present in our environment more, you know, for the masses to experience. But yeah, that idea of them, yeah, I guess me suiting up at home, whacking on my VR goggles and uh, you know, (laughs) diving into my favorite video game isn't it maybe is, I think we all know that's not quite there yet, right? We'd love to give it a try though, of course
0: yeah we're not going to have the ready player one experience for quite some time but that is a fascinating and i think really well done movie for folks who are curious about checking it out also i did notice quite a few marvel references throughout your book as well
1: yeah i couldn't help it
0: <laughs> couldn't resist it you know hey i had spice girls references in my book so you know you just go where <laughs> where your interests are
1: that's the thing you go with where it was i actually i wanted to get spice girls in my book but i, I couldn't quite manage it i have i have a few famous bands right and uh, but they They didn't quite meet a band of the right number to meet my my criteria.
0: (laughs) 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 Oh, yeah, I got the Spice Girls and Britney Spears. Oh, I got it all. (laughs) That's the best mix. (laughs) (laughs) So as another example, you are right that in small doses, this kind of technology is available to a larger segment of the population. Just one other example of this would be wearable sex toys, you know, where you can have a wearable vibrator or penis ring and your partner can send you sensations from the other room or from somewhere else in the world via Bluetooth. And so it provides different opportunities for people to kind of explore the technology, but it's not going to have the same like full effect as, you know, the full body suit. So that leads us to our next topic, which is, you know, in the previous episode, we talked about the importance of intimate touch and there are a lot of people who report a lack of touch and a lack of physical affection in their lives and this raises the question of whether we can use technology effectively to help fill that void so for example in your book you talk about something called huggybot which is literally a robot that stands there and waits for you to hug it and it hugs you back so i'm curious for your thoughts on this you know we know that human touch is so vital to our well-being but to what extent can technologies effectively substitute for that? You know, is it realistic to think that you could get any of the same benefits from a robot hug that you can get from a human hug? What do you think?
1: I'm really excited by this kind of move to build, I suppose, social supportive or social companion robots. I'm excited also slightly scared. I'll balance my excitement with that. But, um, <laughs> but particularly with something like a hugging robot, I think it'll be really interesting to see the degree to which actually if you engage with a hugging robot is someone likely to get those same physiological and health benefits and well-being and mental mental health benefits that we find from real hugging so actually hugging someone as we spoke about in the last episode you know that can lower our stress that can impact how we might respond to viruses and things like that we don't know if hugging a robot will do that but one of the important things to keep in mind is that the reason why or one of the reasons why physically hugging someone else can bring these benefits is because it's a sign of social support. So if you imagine that you're in a remote, long-distance relationship and your partner's sending you a hug for a robot, If you know it's your partner sending it to you in a socially supportive way, and of course, this goes back to that question of what is social support, you know, if they're sending you a hug when actually (laughs) you need help with something else, that's a very different thing. Mm -hmm. But could that signal actually still benefit you? We don't know it is a simple answer. There's no real research on it yet, but that's something that I'm very keen to see come out. And that's something that we are now exploring a bit in my my own lab. Um, We're not doing it with a hugging robot. We're doing it with things like wearables that, you know, you could send someone a supportive message that might buzz on the wrist. Or, you know, we're also looking at things like these um, cushions that you can hold and that you can, for instance, some of them you can change the breathing rate. So, for instance, like even now, you and I are talking online at the moment, right? And what would happen if we were both holding a cushion? And so you could feel my breathing rate, I could feel your breathing rate. Would that have some way of bringing us, you know, Closer together in our sense of connection afterwards, these types of things. And, you know, if we were in that sense, if we're conveying social support to one another, would that help us out in terms of our health and wellbeing? Again, we don't know the answers to that, but that's the kind of research that I think is going to be increasingly coming through. And it connects to this much bigger field, which we call haptic wellness. And, you know, this is all about how can we use touch technologies to positively impact people's health and well-being in a particularly or increasingly distance world where people are maybe saying they don't get enough touch in their life.
0: Well, the next time you're on the show, we're going to have to each hold one of those little... Yeah, exactly, <laughs> right? Exactly. We'll, just give, we'll, give, it
1: we'll give it a whirl and see, see how we feel yeah. afterwards, you know?
0: <laughs> we'll do the experiment in real time and see what happens. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> so building on what we were just talking about, you know, some companies are using this tech as a way to help people stay physically connected over long distances. So it's not just like you're going to have a hugging robot at home that's going to hug you when you need it, but rather kind of like the sex toys I was mentioning, there's this thing called the hug shirt, which is a shirt you can wear that has haptic technology basically you can record a hug and you can send that hug to someone else who has the shirt so they can receive the physical feeling or sensation of your hug even if they're on the other side of the world so tell us a little bit more about this tech and kind of like how the ability to send physical sensations over a long distance can potentially help people to stay connected with a partner or maybe not necessarily even with a romantic partner it could be a way for somebody who's away from their child to send them a hug good night if they're traveling on a business trip so tell us a little bit about that tech so hug
1: shirts they were around before their time because they've been around since the early 2000s you know which is Seems like a long time ago now, you know, but uh, I suppose all of our Britney references and things like that maybe <laughs> make things feel a bit more nostalgic at the moment. Um, but I think, you know, maybe it wasn't until we hit things like the pandemic and stuff like that, right, where we were really maybe missing our ability to, yeah, whether it was a romantic partner, whether it was maybe family or friends, to be able to share that kind of tactile sensation that, you know, maybe people started to think a bit more about these these components. And I I think they're, they're a really interesting development, right? Because here what happens is even if you don't have the shirt yourself, you can record a message on the app and you could send it, right? And this goes back to that. You know, if you know a friend's having a bad time, and you can't physically be with them i mean for you as the individual what you might want to do is give them a hug and maybe if you can send them a hug that may benefit you you know you might feel better for that because we know giving support and sharing affection and support can be good for the person giving it we don't know if the science will back this up but it could right but then the person receiving it i mean hey hopefully if they're receiving it and they're getting some physical sensation to that as well that's the idea i suppose behind it can it be supportive in that way you know hug shirts are one example there's other examples as well that actually um Tech now that allows you to share kisses, so through mobile phones, like there's a kind of kissing messenger app, right? Famously hit the scene, and I've not tried this at all. I've seen them; they 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 look kind of interesting. They do look like a big pair of lips sometimes, right? Be quite intrigued um, as to what people's experiences of them are. But again, it's it's what it shows me. I think as an example of how technology is moving with the trends that we're seeing in our world, and actually, you know, I think post pandemic, those trends are maybe actually escalating you know where people have more remote relationships and they're looking for more ways to bring physical closeness into their lives that maybe they, they just can't pick up on and they want it to be with that person who is significant to them and this is one of the potential ways that these things could be positive I mean I do talk about this in the book as well that there are those who maybe work more in the kind of ethics of technology and robotics who also say well okay we could see how it could be positive, but might there be some circumstances where we wouldn't feel comfortable with it, you know? You know, what if someone was to send a hug or ask their their assistant to send a hug to someone one night? Is that kind of some kind of breach of trust? And I do think it raises interesting questions about what we find acceptable in a societal way, but there is potential here to bring people a sense of touch, you know. But what I should probably flag as well is that. You don't necessarily need a hug shirt to do it, or you know, a kissing message to do it, a kissing app to do it, because I suppose the likelihood of this being beneficial comes back to does it feel supportive to people? And if someone feels really uncomfortable about a kissing app, that's maybe not going to feel supportive, right? So you've got to work with one another and find the right cues. And even something simple as sending a message can show support and affection, right? Showing you're thinking of people. So it'll be interesting to see you know, what's
0: most important to people as we move forward. Yeah, so it definitely sounds like an area where the data, the evidence isn't quite there yet. And we need information to know how effective this is at actually meeting people's needs. We know a lot of people are trying this technology but are they just trying it as a novelty and is it just a one-off thing that they try it and it doesn't really work for them and so the technology ends up just sitting there so we could stand to benefit from having more in-depth research in this area and then also research looking at you know, how does using this tech affect release of say oxytocin? And so if you are wearing a hug shirt and your partner sends you a hug and you're perceiving that as them like literally giving you a hug, does it have the same kinds of neurochemical effects? Like these would be great studies to do. Maybe hug shirt would donate some to us so we could do it. But yeah, we just really need the data exactly
1: exactly and there's there's other examples as well where people are also doing things like so one of the really important types of touch that you know, is connected to things like calmness and reductions in pain and things like this. this is where someone might gently stroke your arm. And there are now people looking at how can we replicate that kind of gentle stroking from afar. And that's the stuff that's often been really linked to a close physiological response. So that's a nice example. Could you compare that technology like for like, where I think it will will be very important to look at that. I mean, we need the data, but there is also an interesting thing in it as well that I think we don't just need the, the data in terms of does it have those physiological effects, but also data around how different contexts might change that, how context might be important. Because take the pandemic, for example. So in our study that we did where we, yeah, where we were asking this kind of, yeah, 40,000 people across these 112 different countries, we had a subsection in that where we asked them about touch technology. How likely would you be to use a hugging shirt or how likely would you use a kissing app? How comfortable would you be? And one of the interesting things that we found as So we started that study in January 2020. We ended up finishing it in the springtime. And obviously our awareness of what pandemic and COVID was and those restrictions were, started to grow throughout. And we tended to see that actually, as people became more impacted by pandemic restrictions, their interest in using this tech actually went down a bit. It was almost like they started to, miss you know maybe maybe we just got like zoom fatigue or something like that right we had too much tech in our lives but but people moved in a slightly different direction where what they said was well actually i'm just really craving physical contact and this isn't for me you know so i think it's interesting i mean i'd love to rerun our study now to try to find that out but then you know depending on those preferences that we have uh those individual differences you might expect a different physiological response right you know because again it comes down to this question of what does touch mean
0: and context could play a big role yeah fascinating you know i think a lot of people would have predicted that as the pandemic restrictions increased people would become more interested in the deck but you saw precisely the opposite which i think speaks to people being touch starved now you talked about how you know there can be potential benefits of this but there can also be potential risks or concerns including the ethics and that had me thinking about how you know we talk a lot these days about cybersecurity. so what if you have a device that provides touch but someone hacks into it and then touches you non-consensually through it so will haptic sexual harassment become a thing in the future what do you think
1: it's actually not something I've I've really thought about at length, but it's a really great example, right? I mean, it's it's that that idea of how do we get that security in there? I mean, I think my feeling is we're going to be seeing an increasing world where we do see, I suppose, non-human substitutes for touch creeping in. Whether that's a robot that hugs you, whether that's a wearable the, that you you get those sensations in, and I think. You're right. There's if it is being sent remotely, there is going to be that question around that risk of security, right? I mean, that that would be a huge violation of trust, right? It comes back to that that question of if it was, you know, you and your partner have consensually agreed to share you know, intimate touch with each other remotely, but it turns out that someone else has hacked into that tech and stolen that. I mean, that just sounds awful, right? I mean, that like, I can't imagine how how that would feel. It's um, so. I think it's something we've got to become increasingly aware of. And and I do think you're right. I think that would pose a, a really important challenge and an important ethical risk. To my mind, I would hope there'd be legislation around that because, you know, that's
0: not a good thing at all. Yeah. It seems that with every advent in modern technology, people find a way to take it in a sexual direction and some people find a way to move it in an exploitative direction. You know, if you think about something like, cell phones and texting like the rise of dick pics and you know all of these other things that people send like non-consensually and so forth it's not out of the realm of possibilities that people would also try and use this kind of technology where they could actually like literally touch someone through it so it's something that we do need to pay attention to and think about and unfortunately when it comes to the law and a lot of other things we tend to be behind the technology so these are the kinds of things we need to be talking about now so we can try and be ahead of the curve
1: yeah no, absolutely because it just yeah like you say often it is the case that it takes that much longer for the law to catch up to these rises and i think you're bang on actually it's it's being ahead of the curve of thinking about that and particularly because We're not talking about technology that doesn't exist here, right? I mean, you spoke yourself about, you know, remote sex toys and things like this that people can use, that technologies like this do exist to a degree. And I think we have to really already be thinking carefully about that.
0: Yeah. And so, you know, this kind of goes into my last question for you, which is about the future, right? So when people look at the future of technology and sex tech, there is a lot of concern on one hand that this increasingly digital world is going to eventually replace human touch and connection and you know there are others who look at it and see hey these are opportunities to bring us together to find new ways to connect so where do you stand on this you know do you think these advances in technology will eventually drive us apart or will they simply give us additional ways to stay connected
1: yeah i mean my feeling on the back of the pandemic and where people have really come is I think what people are looking for is a sense of quality touch rather than quantity of touch. It's not necessarily more touch, but it's they, they're looking for the right kind of touch. And I think to a degree, I suppose I, my response might sit on the fence a little bit in that I think actually for some people, these these technologies are going to provide a way to give them touch that they're craving and that they're missing. And in that sense, if that's that's a good thing, right? I think we know that when people don't have the quality touch that they want in their lives, That can have real negative effects on mental health and, you know, also potentially impact other aspects of of their lives, like physical health and physical activities and things like loneliness and stuff like this as well. So finding ways to do that is a good thing. And I actually think the rise of some of these technologies could be really beneficial in those cases. But I don't think that's going to be the case for everybody. And I actually think, you know, people, and we, we spoke about it in our own data, right, who wanted to become less likely to use technologies and wanted more physical human-to-human contact. And, you know, one of the things that, we asked people in our survey and i talk about this in the book about you know just a very simple thing just give us three words of what touch means to you or the three words that first come to mind and pretty consistently around the world it was things like comfort connection care affection and that idea of that kind of physical closeness and touch bringing us together in in that way and even if i do that now in talks around the world if i ask people what touch means that's what they come to they think about that Person-to-person connection, so I kind of think to a degree the pandemic maybe showed us things that we were losing when we couldn't touch people as often as we might have wanted and those closest to us, and maybe actually that's making us more aware of the, the desire to want to nurture and maintain those connections a bit more. And so yeah, so I think there's there's positives in it in the tech, but I don't think it will replace human-to-human contact human human contact it's such an important part of our world and of our lives it's with us from our very first moments when we're born right to our final moments that touches that sense that is with us all the way through and i think that's going to be hard to completely replace
0: and i completely agree with you on that but only time will tell once we have more data so thank you for this amazing conversation michael it was a pleasure to have you here can you please tell my listeners where they can go to learn more about you and your work and get a copy of your new book yeah, sure. So if
1: they want to go to banassy.com, which is B-A-N-I-S-S-Y.com, my name's uh, always a bit of an unusual one. So um, you can find out all information about me, about my lab's research, and there's information there about the book and where you can uh, pick it up in a range of retailers worldwide.
0: And I will be sure to include links to all of that in the show notes. So thank you again so much for your time. I really appreciate having you here. Thanks for having me. Also, thank you to my listeners. To keep up with new episodes of this podcast, visit my website at sexandpsychology.com or subscribe on your favorite platform where I hope you'll take a moment to rate and review the show. You can also follow me on the socials for daily sex research updates. I'm on Twitter at Justin Lehmiller and Instagram at Justin J. Lehmiller. Also, be sure to check out my book, Tell Me What You Want. Thanks again for listening. Until next time.